Welcome to Sober Solutions. We are a weekly recovery podcast, not affiliated with any particular 12-step or recovery program. However, you may hear us mention them. My name is Jason, and I'm an alcoholic and addict. My name is Chris, and I'm an alcoholic and addict. My name is Ben. I'm an alcoholic and addict. And welcome back to Sober Solutions Podcast. Tonight is episode 49, and I'm very excited to have our guest host tonight. He's coming from Baltimore, Maryland. Uh, His name is Wesley. Hi, Wesley. How are you doing? I'm great. How are you? Doing well, doing well. I'm very excited about uh, the topic that you're bringing to the episode tonight. But before we get into all of that, I'd love for you to tell our listeners a little bit more about yourself. Sure, sure. So uh, I'm Wesley, and I am an addict. So I grew up with a very Southern mother that liked to fry foods and make all kinds of unhealthy things. Um, She was also pretty verbally abusive. And you know, while she fed me fattening foods, uh, she also made fun of me about being overweight. And uh, she would th- say things about me looking nine months pregnant. You know, she would tell me like a child that she cooked for that I needed to go on a diet. At school, I was picked on pretty hard. When I was a kid, my dad was in the Navy and we had been transferred to Rhode Island. So there I was kind of chubby, feminine, had freckles and had a really Southern accent. <laughs> so I was uh, picked on a lot. Uh, anyway, there was there was a theme here. Uh, you know, by high school, hated the way that I looked. Uh, I always struggled with my weight. I always thought that I was fat. Came out when I was 13 in the 90s, and my high school had cows. So by this time, I was back in the South. So, uh, you know, it was not a great environment. Um, PE was not super fun for me, and so I avoided it at all costs. By like 16 or 17, I had discovered diet pills. And back then they put speed in over-the-counter diet pills. So this was before they sort of outlawed certain substances uh, in the diet pills. So I was abusing them very quickly. I uh, would take like 10 at a time. And I thought, you know, because they were over-the-counter, they were like vitamins and they wouldn't really hurt you. You know, I lost about 40 pounds taking these pills. You know, I was always looking for like a quick solution. I wasn't um, wasn't trying to work out or exercise. I just wanted some magic pill that was going to make me lose weight and make me feel good about myself. At 17, I started going to uh, the local gay clubs in uh, Pensacola, Florida, which is where I'm from. And I am a pretty shy person. I was very shy back then. And I found that I could not talk to people or do anything if I wasn't like drunk or high. And so I got into party drugs and alcohol uh, around 17, 18 years old. And at 19, I uh, was offered crystal meth. Um, It was everything that I had been looking for. You know, I was a shy person. It made me talk to people. It made me, you know, active. It made me lose weight fast. And I thought like I had found the solution. I didn't understand why everyone wasn't doing this. You know, I was like, screw exercise. I I could just do this forever. And um, I definitely found out that you can't do it forever. (laughs) Uh, I became a a daily user very quickly. And, um, you know, I used pretty much daily from about the age of 20 to 25. By the end, I was so skinny that I was actually trying to make myself look bigger to people um, because I didn't want them to think that I was cracked out. So I remember like trying to puff out my stomach and wear bigger clothes. I was 
ashamed of being so skinny at this point. So, uh, you know, isn't that a bitch? I am about six feet tall and I got down under 125 pounds uh, using crystal meth. And I looked like I was dying and I, I was. Uh, I was actually able to stop using, not really because I wanted to, but more uh, my dealers got busted and went to prison. And I guess they were kind of the suppliers for the city. And after they got arrested, I couldn't find it anymore. So I was sort of forced to stop using. And uh, I didn't understand addiction at that time. So I thought like, okay, well, I was just addicted to that. And so, um, you know, I stopped using meth. Uh, my life got better, but, I, you know, I was still drinking. You know, I didn't understand how to like, get off of meth in a healthy way. And I gained like 160 pounds really quickly. And I think I got up to about 280 pounds at one point. And I got diagnosed with type 2 diabetes at age 27. It runs in my family like pretty hard. And I'm sure I would have gotten it eventually. But to get it at 27 is, is pretty young. And I'm pretty sure that, you know, all the abuse that I had done in my body over the years combined with such a rapid weight gain probably caused it to accelerate a little bit. So that scared me. I didn't want to go blind. I didn't want my feet to get cut off. So I went into like addict mode with diet and exercise. And, you know, I lost a lot of weight and I was being pretty healthy, but I was still drinking and I was in a very codependent relationship that I was addicted to. And when that ended, that relationship ended, I went out drinking all the time with friends and, uh, you know, quickly became pretty much a daily drinker. And I uh, went into rehab and, and all of that, but um, I wasn't ready at that time. And after a few months, I, would, I was back to the old, old ways. And when I drank, I would almost always get hungover. And when I was hungover, I craved like the greasiest, disgusting food ever. And so I struggled with my weight again for years. I did get sober in 2013 and I stayed sober for about two and a half years. And during that time, you know, I started dating this personal trainer and I got into like working out, but it wasn't for me, really. It wasn't for the right reasons. You know, I, I really just, I wanted to impress him at the time when that relationship ended, you know, I saw some of the attention that I was getting from, you know, being a little more fit and having a cuter butt or whatever. And so that was sort of the driving force behind the, uh, the working out there. You know, after about two and a half years, I relapsed and I went back into that unhealthy cycle of drinking and eating crappy food. I still tried to work out when I didn't feel like death, but that wasn't very often. And I would see no results and I would stop. And, you know, that typically happens when you're drinking like 2000 calories a night and, and then eating a few thousand calories the next day as well. And I refused to admit that it was my drinking that was causing this. And so I found some quack doctor who gave me uh, speed and testosterone and that did the trick, but it messed with my head a lot. And I ended up hurting some people around me. And after that, I gained all the weight back and I was still drinking really heavily. So fast forward a little bit, I, um, I got sober again during the pandemic. So my uh, sobriety date is March 22nd of 2021. And I was working from home at that time. I lived alone. And, uh, you know, I, I really, really wanted to do sobriety right this time. I had reached a point where 
I had proven to myself that I could not control my drinking. I was keeping spreadsheets, trying to keep track of when I was drinking. Um, I was trying to only buy certain amounts at a time. And it just, it never worked. And I was just such a, an emotional low that I, I either had to kill myself or get sober. Like I just couldn't see any other options. And so luckily um, I chose to, to give this another shot and try to, and come back into sobriety. And, um, you know, all I heard from people was about prayer and meditation, prayer and meditation. And I am not the type of person that's going to sit in the lotus pose and ohm and clear my mind. Like, that's just not me. I, I can't do that. But what I found was when I would exercise, I would be able to clear my head and be able to make sense of things. And I would feel better mentally. And, you know, that was riding my bike or lifting weights or just going for a walk. That was like the one time I could really zone out and clear my mind and make sense of things. So I started working out for like mental clarity. I decided that I wasn't going to work out to try to look like something. I wasn't going to try to work out to achieve weight loss or any sort of physical thing. Working out really, it really helped me mentally. That seemed to, to stick for me. And that still applies today. You know, I get up every morning and I go to the gym or I go for a walk or something like that. And it just puts me in a good mood. And it's also, like I said, a time I can truly zone out and clear my head. And uh, I do have ADHD. So that, that rarely happens as a result of me taking care of my insides. I have seen results on the outside. So I have seen physical changes. Um, I did lose weight. Uh, I'm maintaining it. Uh, my diabetes is actually in remission. Like I, I just got some blood work done recently and my A1C levels are for a normal person. Like I'm not even like pre-diabetic. I'm in a normal range, which from what I've read is pretty rare. So uh, that's a huge achievement for me. So all of the things that I've tried to cheat my way to having have happened as a result of me getting sober and flipping that fitness switch from trying to look a certain way to trying to feel a certain way. Awesome. Well, Wesley, you know, that is quite the story that you have, and it resonates with me completely. As most of our viewers know, I am also in the rooms for crystal meth addiction, in addition to my drinking. And when I first got sober, I gained, I believe it was like 60 some pounds. And after really just eating everything in sight because I wasn't, you know, I didn't, I didn't get down to the weight that you did. And I was just trying to think of like what that looks like. And it's just great that you're still here really. But while I was getting sober, I was like, you know what? I'm not doing drugs anymore. So I'm going to eat whatever the hell I want to eat. I'm going to do whatever I want to do. And that was like, pizzas and cookies and like cakes and like all the things. Cheesecake is definitely my favorite, I have to say. And the thing is, is that like, I just didn't have that other side of it. I didn't have any type of accountability structure that I know now as like my gym routine or a healthy diet or things like that. Because similar to you, I never really did any of that stuff before. You know, I was always that skinny kid in high school and in college, and I never really latched on to working out and eating healthy and all that kind of stuff because my I played soccer and my metabolism was so high that I didn't need to work out because I was running all the time on the field. 
And so that really, really resonated with me. The other thing that you talked about, and I don't remember if you actually named it, but I kept hearing the idea of body dysmorphia. And I feel that so much right now. Like, I look completely different than what I did two years ago. From looking like a skeleton and looking almost dead to gaining those 60 pounds to where I'm at now. I literally just got back from the gym before recording and still I have that sense of like, it's not good enough or I see the the bad or like, I just don't feel comfortable in my skin sometimes. Do you have any thoughts like that? Like, do you still feel like that today or what's that like for you? I relate to that a lot. I usually go to the gym like really early in the morning in the last two days. Like I didn't sleep very well the night before and I wasn't able to get up and go to the gym. And I all of a sudden just felt in my body the same that I felt before, you know, when I was heavier and I try not to put too much weight on, on weight. Um, but I, you know, I do step on the scale when I'm feeling that way and see that number to sort of like pull me back in a little bit because that really helps for me to see, okay, well, that number is still the number that you wanted it to be. And it's not the number that you're feeling in your head. So yeah, I definitely can relate to the body dysmorphia. Yeah. The whole gym thing has been huge in my recovery as well. I think they say like the endorphins hit the reward center. It almost substitutes what, you know, drugs or alcohol were doing. And it gives you that like reward sense. And it's amazing how good you feel when you leave the gym. And I really do attribute, I mean, Jason and I went to rehab together and we went to the gym every single day there, which was like my favorite hour of the day. I mean, he could tell you I ran there, but it, it really did help and it still continues to help. And it's, it's one thing that gives me like structure it's probably the basis of my structure. Um, you know, like meetings, I'll go to different meetings every day, but I really consistently go to the gym. One thing that I heard a lot in your story was a lot of like quick fixes in the beginning, whether it was, you know, with food, whether it was with your weight, even drugs and alcohol. Like I thought it was funny because I kind of did this too. You kept a spreadsheet. Like I used to literally have spreadsheets of what I was taking to try to like save money and like still get high, you know, like, <laughs> but it just doesn't work. I forget what they even call that. Like, you know, it's wrong, but you do all these things to like keep doing the drugs or alcohol. What was like the main catalyst in actually getting you sober. I know you said it was during uh, COVID and it, it seemed like you tried to get there a bunch of times, but this time you didn't get that quick fix. But what was like the actual main catalyst that kind of made it stick this time? The reason that I got sober this time was actually for me where, you know, in the past, you know, when I had gone to rehab the first time in 2010, it was because um, I was hanging by a thread at my job. My roommate hated me, you know, uh, my parents were over it and I wanted the heat off. And so I figured if I went to rehab, you know, everyone would think I was so brave and, uh, and, and, and they'd get off my back and they did for a while. Um, you know, when I got sober later, I, I still feel like, you know, it was, it was sort of out of loneliness. You know, I had moved to DC in 2011 and it was really hard to make friends. And I, 
knew that I was drinking too much, but I thought like, well, I can go to, to these support meetings and maybe meet people and, and be friends with them and, or get a boyfriend or whatever. And it wasn't really that I wanted to get sober. I always had these sort of ideas in my head that one day, like, you know, 45 or 50 year old Wesley will be able to like go to happy hour with his coworkers and have a few drinks and go home. In 2021, I had been basically locked away by myself for an entire year. My partner and I had broken up right before the pandemic. We had been together for five years and, you know, he had seen a, a lot with my drinking and, and, you know, it, it, it finally, you know, pushed him away. And I looked around and I literally had no one, no one there. I had no friends, no family, no boyfriend. It was just me and some cats and it was depressing. And I feel like for the first time I wanted to get sober. Like I knew that I, if I wanted to live, I had to stop this madness and I had to get sober. And, you know, I thank God for Zoom because I was going to so many meetings a day. There was one day in particular, I was really depressed. I went to five meetings. I went to meetings in like the UK. I went to meetings everywhere because anytime I felt an itch, there was a meeting somewhere. And so I really credit Zoom with keeping me in at first because I did a lot of meetings in the beginning. A couple of the hosts here, <laughs> Jason and uh, Ben, our other hosts, they they are definitely into the Zoom meetings. And it, it is amazing. I mean, you could always find a meeting. Do you think that, uh, I'm actually curious, will 50-year-old Wesley um, be able to go to a bar? No. I mean, I, I can go and have a Diet Coke or something, but um, I definitely can't ever have alcohol. I, I don't know too much about type 2 diabetes, but did the alcohol and drug use affect that early on, or how does that affect it? Alcohol and, and diabetes definitely don't play well together. When I was really drinking a lot, my uh, A1C levels, which is sort of kind of like how diabetic you are, they were really, really high. And I'm sure it was a result of the alcohol, but also the, the poor food choices I was making when I was drinking or when I was hungover. Yeah, when I was drinking, my, my diabetes was pretty high. Luckily, I've never had to be on insulin, which has been my goal, but I came close a few times. But I would tell my doctor, like, look, I'll do better. You know, I, I don't want to go on insulin. So luckily, I, I haven't had to, to go there yet, but it's come close. One thing that I keep going back to in my head is this feeling of loneliness and despair when I was drinking and drugging. What I've been noticing recently, probably over the last like two or three weeks, is that when I start to get stressed out, I stress eat a lot. And because I don't have the booze, I don't have the drugs, and now I am, I think, 16 days nicotine-free, and it's awful. I mean, it's great now, but it was a journey. And... I didn't realize how much of a routine it was. And Chris, you were just talking about routine and how like the gym is routine and you and I did it every day in, in rehab. And now that I can't like do drugs or drink and now I can't like puff my vape, I immediately go to, I want some brownies. I want some Oreos. I want some cheesecake. And I'll even order it thinking to myself, Jason, don't do this. 
don't order this cheesecake right now because you'll eat it and then you'll lay in bed and you'll be like, son of a bitch, I shouldn't have done that. And I'm wondering if you guys have ever felt that way where you started substituting like food or something else for the drugs and alcohol that we don't do anymore. First of all, I just want to chime in because you said this, I think like last episode, you can do all that stuff. You're just choosing not to. I totally agree with you. And I'm sure I'm on tape saying that. And the thing is, is like, I go overboard. So I'm okay having like a piece of cheesecake here and there, or, you know, a brownie here and there as my, as my treat. Right. But I won't have one brownie. I'll have six. I won't have two Oreos. I'll have a sleeve, you know, things like that, where it becomes that addictive nature. And my brain's just like, more is better. More is better. So have more. So do you guys deal with any of that stuff? You know, I have some mental health issues and one of them is um, binge eating that's something I really have to manage. Uh, for me, I love sweets also, which, you know, as a diabetic, it's not, not the best thing, but I, I do, uh, I eat a low carb diet. So I'm addicted to uh, like quest bars and such, which in my brain, that's healthy, but I cannot buy a box of them. So there's a convenience store that's um, less than a mile away. So it's a nice little walk. If I want a treat, I literally either drive or walk to the store and get like one or two and that's it. Because if I buy the whole box, I will eat the whole box. So I've really had to train myself to not have certain things in the house because food, you know, is also an addiction of mine. And I have to watch out for those triggers as well. I think I've recently started substituting projects in there. So like house projects, and I become obsessed with this, like renovating my house and DIY things. And, but almost to a point where like, that's what consumes my brain. Because if I sit there, it's like, all right, what do I do? You know, and, or what do I eat or what, you know, and the same with you, Jason, like I choose not to drink and do this other stuff. So it's like, what am I feeling today? It, it's a great question. And I know we've talked a little bit about like going to the gym and using that as a, a stress reliever, as a substitute, I think that can also be an addiction as well. I was almost going to say, unfortunately, I haven't become addicted to the gym. I go a lot, but I haven't become addicted to it. But I don't know if I want to be addicted to the gym. I don't want to be addicted to anything at this point. And the gym has been a great outlet. I've also gotten into yoga and really finding other ways to exercise and I'm interested to hear from you guys, like, what else do you do outside of like going to the gym? What do you do to exercise and stay active? I like to just go for walks. Uh, you know, I live in a really beautiful area of Baltimore near the water and a lot of parks. So I love to just go for walks. I have a, a knockoff Peloton bike. I don't use it a lot because I do go to the gym, but I, I do like to have something here for those days where I can't make it to the gym and maybe I can just sneak a little workout in on my lunch break or something like YouTube has so many videos. There's a few channels that I subscribe to that have workouts you can do at home with no equipment. So I, I do a lot of that. Besides working out, I mean, my activity is like you hiking, walking. Uh, we go on a lot of family walks. Um, and then I love golf, but it's just really expensive. So it's tough to get out as much as I would like to. Uh, did, did I hear that you 
you join, you do uh, CMA. Is that what you mainly do, or that's one of them? Yes, uh, I I participate in a few different twelve-step uh, recovery fellowships, but yes, that is one of them. Yeah, we kind of advertise to all of them. I do NA, and Jason does a few as well. I'm curious, uh, do you do any other programs? Not necessarily smart recovery or 12 step, but what else is in your uh, recovery program that helps you stay sober? I primarily participate in 12 step recovery. That's been uh, the one that's worked for me. I, I have tried other programs such as smart recovery and, and some others. And, um, you know, 12 step is just what spoke to me. But um, yeah, I, I do. I like to surround myself with positivity. You know, I listen to podcasts. I listen um, to books a lot. I'm not a big like sit down and read person, but I do like to listen to books, you know, on Audible and things like that. Um, but I, I do like to, to listen to, to things that, that, you know, bring joy to my life and, uh, and all that. So yeah, I listen to a, a lot of stuff. I watch a lot of YouTube videos as well. So uh, I just like to surround myself with, with positive things. That actually reminded me of the beginning of your story. It seemed like your mother feeding you and kind of the negative comments she had. Um, how has that relationship changed since you were younger? Or if that's okay, talking about how did that affect your recovery and where are you guys at now? So yeah, um, so currently my mother and I are okay. Uh, I wouldn't say we're close. Um, you know, she, she has, uh, some issues of her own. And, uh, so, you know, I, I love her from a distance, you know, we, uh, we pretty much communicate through social media and text and, you know, I do visit my hometown at least once or twice a year and, you know, she still lives there. And so, you know, I, I'll, I'll see her when I'm there. I was angry at her for a really long time. There were some pretty messed up things that I feel like she did to me and my sister growing up. So it, it took a while to really uh, forgive her for those things. The biggest kind of turning point for me was when I realized that forgiving someone is not about saying what they did to you was okay. You know, forgiving someone is just tell, basically, I don't have to carry that around with me anymore. And so once I, once I realized that forgiving her was not giving her a pass, and saying like, oh, it's cool. It just meant that I didn't have to carry around all those resentments with me anymore. You know, that was a really freeing experience. So now, you know, I'm, I'm better about accepting her for who she is and, and kind of where she is. But, um, you know, I, I, do, I do keep my distance because I, I do know that um, she's, she's not the most positive person and I don't want to get wrapped up in, in the negativity. I really like that, you know, loving someone from a distance. There's a lot of people in my life that I have a hard time letting go of because of, I guess, the relationship that I have with them or did have with them. And I also know that it's not healthy to keep them in my life and to constantly get into the same stuff that these unhealthy behaviors. So loving from a distance. Honestly, I'm going to uh, think about that tonight. It's hard sometimes too, I think, to both be able to recognize that and do it. Just like you were saying, Chris, I have at least three or four names in my head right now that I should be loving from a distance. And instead, I am hanging on to that because 
some are sober people, some are family members, like, and I don't want to let go of that. But I love that concept, Wesley, because that's better for my recovery. And it sounds like it's better for your recovery. Yeah, I, I'm just not in a place in my life where I'm going to let anyone make me miserable. And, um, you know, I understand everyone has their their moments, people need events. But, you know, if you're constantly just draining all of my energy with your negativity, you know, I just can't be around that. What's something that you would give our listeners as advice if they had to pick one thing? I would say, you know, no matter what program you choose, it's your program. And, you know, it's not anyone else's. It doesn't have to make sense to anyone else. And make it make sense for you. There's a lot of programs out there and nothing's going to fit you 100%. You know, I know a lot of people that come into 12-step recovery have issues with, you know, the G word or, or some of the really outdated texts that might be in some of the literature. But don't get so bogged down with that. You know, look at that and, and make it make sense for you. I read some of the stories in some of the, the various literature. And yeah, some of it is just... There's very little that I can relate to, but there's always something in there and there's always something that I can pull out and make it make sense to me. And, you know, as far as some of the, the more maybe religious language, you know, I'm not a religious person at all, but, you know, I've been able to, to kind of flip that into something that makes sense for me. So, you know, I, I would just say to, to newcomers, just come in and, and be open-minded and, you know, if you see something that you don't necessarily agree with or something that might turn you off, Try to think of it in a different way and and try to make it make sense for you. So you mentioned the G word and something that I don't think that we really touched on. You know, we talked about exercising the body, but exercising that soul and the spiritual aspect of your program. How do you do that? How do you stay spiritually fit? So like I said, I'm not religious at all. Uh, I'm not anti-religious. I'm just... It's not my thing, but I do believe, you know, in a higher power. Um, and for me, it's just the universe. And so I don't, I don't try to define it. I don't try to visualize it. I don't try to name it to me. I get back what I put out. So for me, I like to put out positivity into the world and I believe that I'll get that back. And for me, that's, that's as simple as it is. I feel like a lot of people, including myself have, have tried so hard to like define what's my higher power, what's this or what's that. And it's not important. (laughs) So I try to be as simple as possible with it. I was going to say your advice was just great life advice. But um, one thing that some of our viewers have said to me is kind of elaborating on words that you might not know. So you guys are referencing God. I think this came because we said subs last week or two weeks ago. And Somebody reached out to me and said, what are subs? Because they're not in recovery and they were looking at it. So I'm trying to uh, think about words as we go that people wouldn't know. It's true. It's true. And it helps us as well because it just reminds us of what we're actually talking about. Chris, what do you do to exercise spiritually? That's a good question. Recently, not enough, to be quite honest. I think that I've been really like go, go, go recently on the house renovation, on working out, on, you know, just getting to the next week, the next activity, the next date that I've really fallen a little down on meditating, which is something that I used to do a lot. I used to just reflect, meditate, uh, a lot of reading, but more spiritual books. 
I was on a journey where I was going to church, but I'm really not connecting with the church that I'm in. So I was kind of trying to find my spiritual path. And that was right before I moved. And, you know, as I told you, I kind of fallen down. Now, although I wasn't really connecting with the church that I was going to, I loved the people and the connections and the process and the, I would say the basis and the structure of what was going on. I just didn't, I wasn't connecting with the actual church. So I am really there with God. I am there with, you know, higher power, spirituality, but I definitely need to do more of the connection. I think it's so important to my day to day. I feel it just like when I don't go to the gym or I have that brownie before bed. If I don't pray before bed, if I don't take time to slow down and I'm right there with you, I used to meditate all the time. I used to take that, that pause. When I don't do that, I feel it physically. And I don't know if that happens for you guys, but I feel it physically now where I know that I'm as the program says the AA program says off the beam. I've heard that, you know, a number of times. And I think that's what it's referring to. I I might be making that up, but that's what it means to me is that I'm not on that straight path that I have someone helping me guide my actions or something helping me guide my actions. Because Wesley, just like you, your higher power being the universe, mine's energy. And it's not the God that I grew up with. You know, I, I don't, I'm not part of the Catholic church anymore. I don't believe in that. You know, I'm, I'm, I have a whole lot of different comments and stuff that I could really talk about on that. And maybe we have a, a whole episode on organized religion and versus spirituality, but I just don't connect with that anymore. And now that I connect with my higher power, which is energy, if I'm not honoring that, it's not honoring me. And then my program's off. And I'm stressed out. I'm getting pissed off at people. I'm holding on to resentments. I'm not acting in a sober manner that I'm used to. The last week's episode with Charles, or maybe that was two weeks ago, I was listening to it again and having us just breathe in and out. It just feels so good. And I do connect with that. I think I'm more the opposite. It's not that when I don't do it, I physically can feel it. It's when I do do it, I physically feel it. And the fact that I don't give myself that pleasure, that calming sense, that, you know, grounding, you know, it really grounds you. And it's it's insane that I don't do it every day. I pray, but I don't pray like people think that people do. Like, I don't get on my knees. I'm not, yeah, I don't have my hands together or anything like that. I literally just talk to my higher power like they're a friend. And, um, you know, that's been a a game changer for me because it's, for me, just getting it out is such a relief. You know, if I'm having a rough day and I just, you know, I do say God because it's easier, but, um, you know, I, I will just start talking and just getting that out of me is such a relief, even though I have no idea who I'm talking to, but, you know, just talking and getting it out. And sometimes, you know, as I talk, I can make things make sense. And it's just so important for me to, to pray every day. I just kind of made a little connection in my head. Like my higher power is my trainer showing me how to do my life, 
in the proper way, the proper form, so that I can live the best life possible. Well, I think that's a great place for us to stop tonight. Wesley, thank you so much. It was really great seeing you. Great to have you on the show tonight. Thank you for having me. And as always, each and every one of our episodes is dedicated to the still sick and suffering alcoholic and addict, especially the individual who's going to pick up for the first time tonight. Have a great night, guys. Have a great night. We appreciate your liking and subscribing to our podcast. If you liked what you heard today and would like to support our podcast, feel free to Venmo a dollar to our virtual basket at Sober Solutions Podcast. We want to hear from you too. If you have a comment, question, topic, or would like to come on the show, find us on Instagram, Facebook, or YouTube at Sober Solutions Podcast. Or you can shoot us an email to SoberSolutionsPodcast at gmail.com. Find us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And if you like what you've heard, make sure to subscribe, rate, and review the show.